Hey, this is Maya. And I'm Stephanie. And you're listening to The What Project. Where you'll hear inspiring stories of hope. Hey everyone, welcome back to The What Project. We are here again with Nick and his beautiful bride, Nancy. Hey guys, welcome back again. Hi. Hey. So... How did you meet? Can you tell our listeners how you met? Well, we always tease people. We actually met on the street corner. I mean, literally. We met at a Pulse event. They had a worship, a worship night or something. And it was just crazy because I remember, well, Nick said that he missed the turn and I was trying to find parking. So I remember I was crossing the street and he was at that corner where I was crossing to. And we kind of stood there awkwardly. And I knew this guy was going to the event because he had his big Bible in his hand. (laughs) Big Bibles pick up. (laughs) (laughs) And I was the one that started the conversation. I was like, hey, you going to that event? He's like, yeah, how'd you know? And it's like, well, your Bible obviously gives it away. (laughs) So then we started started walking to the event. And that's just kind of how like things started basically <laughs> I, I thought it was just really cool because like how was the god thing because i was actually was running late to the event if i yeah. i missed a turn like and i was went the wrong way around the block because it was really complicated to get to this place <laughs> and i was just thinking earlier like if i would have been on time or would have missed that turn i probably would have never met my wife it's so, like just i don't think so either yeah I mean, there was like a probably like 200 people at this. Thing. i was meeting my life group there and um I think it was, it had only been like the third week that I had been in this life group too. So it was fairly new people. I didn't really know anybody, but luckily, I mean, I'm, I am really grateful that Nick and I were there because I mean, we didn't really know anybody. He had just moved in from down South. And so he didn't know anybody. I didn't really know anybody. And when my life group did show up, they kind of had like their own clicks and groups. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're not sitting together <laughs> or whatever. So I'm glad that we... Can I hit it off? I don't think, I don't know. I just remember, I actually told myself, I was like, I don't like this guy, like <laughs> romantically, you know, because he was like kind of like trying to, he was definitely flirting with me. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> like this guy and I don't, I don't care, <laughs> whatever. But somehow I gave him my number because I was trying to be friendly. I was like, hey, like, because he told me he had just moved in from town. So I was like, oh, well, you know, if you don't have a life group, you should come join ours. You know, I'm trying to like not make him like feel like an outcast because it's like I know what it feels like to be an outcast. I'm trying to be inclusive and stuff. So I gave him my phone number <laughs> with good intentions. And of course, the next, I think that night after I left, he, like, texts me. He's like, hey, like, where'd you go? Past your bedtime or something? And I'm like, oh, no, I, my, my parking <laughs> meter was up, so I just went home. <laughs> I was hoping I could talk to her after the event that she left. And then the, I think he, like, responded back, like, the next day, like, hey, well, you know, I really enjoyed, like, talking to you. Like, we should go out for coffee sometime. I'm like, oh, my word. This guy totally, like, that's not what my number was for. <laughs> you know? It was to be in community. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. So the moral of the story is if you're looking for a spouse, <laughs> grab a Bible exactly. and walk downtown. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> thank you for sharing that story. But let's get right into the content of this episode. <laughs> Nancy, how did you meet Jesus? How did you get saved? Tell us your God story. 
Yeah, so I grew up completely different from my husband. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. And my parents, I'm first generation, so my parents came um, to the U.S. I don't know exactly the year when they came out. It must have been, oh, I don't even remember. But anyways, they came from refugee camps in Thailand, and they moved to California. And in our culture, in the Hmong culture, you're raised in shaman religion, which is basically, you know, believing in the dead, your ancestors that watch over you, that care for you. And you do these rituals to kind of honor them, to remember them, to basically have them continue watching over you and things like that. And I mean, I didn't know anything about Christianity or anything like that. I do remember we get a lot of donations from church. So in my family, we have eight siblings. So there's nine of us in total, including my grandma. So there was like 13, is that the you know, that's 12 people in a tiny house. And we always lived off of food stamps and EBT and stuff. So I remember um, for Christmas, I don't think my parents were ever really able to afford gifts for us. So we always got it donated from like Salvation Army or churches that would donate toys to families that were in need. So like, that's kind of how I knew church a little bit like that. Yeah, they were great people that donate stuff. (laughs) And so... I actually didn't really know much about Christianity until one of my sisters got saved. So it's kind of like since there's nine of us, there is like an older half and a younger half kind of gap in between. And so the younger half of us, one of my sisters, she was the first one that got saved. I remember she told me that she really had like a spiritual encounter with the Lord. And I can't remember how it all worked out, but I remember she was working at the Salvation Daycare. But at that Salvation Army, they had youth nights on Wednesdays. And then I think I I remember she invited us to come to the youth nights and stuff. So we would just go just because it was fun. You know, like we would go play in the gym and then sure, learn a little bit about God and then go play in the gym again. You know, it was just a fun thing to do after school, whatever. But I remember they had like some revival night or something like that as a service. And I gave my life to the Lord that night. And that was when I was in ninth grade, though. So even when I gave my life to the Lord, I still didn't really fully know what I was getting myself into. Do you remember at all what they shared that night or what was talked about? or Not really, no. I just remember the lights were dim and people were worshiping and the youth pastor had came up to me and he was like, you know, I just, do you want to give your life to the Lord? And I was like, I do. And then I just said salvation prayer. And that was pretty much all that was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was when you were still living in California. I was born in Wisconsin. So, but we had moved to Minnesota when I was in third grade. So I must've been nine because there wasn't a lot of job opportunities where we were living. Yeah, and then we just has we've stayed in Minnesota since. Okay. Yeah. So after that, you know, point in time where you kind of heard the gospel for mm-hmm. the first time and you accepted it, what mm-hmm. happened after that? Well, it was still kind of a struggle for me because my parents at the time they were kind of like, Oh, that's just a white man's religion, especially to my dad. So it's like, why would we go follow a white man's religion? We don't do that. And so that was kind of the perception that my dad had, and he really hated Christianity and he always 
was convinced that the Bible was written by old dudes and trying to control the world and all this weird stuff. And I think it was definitely hard trying to grow in my faith, especially because I didn't really have a shepherd. I didn't have a strong Bible study group as what we would have nowadays, you know. Did you have a Bible? I did. I had a Bible from Salvation Army and stuff, but even that, like, I I didn't know a lot of context about the Bible. Like, do we read it from front to back, back to front? Or, (laughs) and I I was always told, yeah, you could just read whatever. And so, you know, now people say, oh, start in John or start, start in the New Testament, then work your way in the Old Testament, you know, because it's all like, you know, it's confusing, right? So you said your dad didn't really care for your desire to explore Christianity. Nope. But one of your sisters had already gotten saved. Mm -hmm. Where did your mom stand on the issue? I think my mom had always leaned toward Christianity, but she was kind of like on the fence too. She was more like, oh, let's just believe whatever is good, right? So it's like, okay, well, when I'm having a bad time or or I wanted to know something of the future, like I'm going to go see a shaman person or I'm going to go see somebody that can tell me the future. And so, but then if, yeah, let's just pray to God anyways, because he's, he's nice, right? And he's a good God. So you just believe it, all the good things out there. So that was kind of where she stood on that. So in ninth grade, you kind of made a commitment to God. And Mm -hmm. then you faced kind of some pushback from some of your family. Yeah. So how did you go from that place to where (laughs) you are today? Yeah. So it was a lot. I mean, I don't think my dad, I mean, he mocked us a bit. Like he would just laugh like, oh, whatever. You guys just believe in this make-believe kind of religion. But I think for me, what was really hard to even navigate more out of was was the group of friends that I was with when I was in when when I was a freshman not that I had terrible friends you know it was just you know people who were just of the world you know we would go to parties and drink and just do stupid things that teenagers would do and and I remember I was such a baby Christian so it's like I didn't know where I stood either it's like yeah I mean I, I believe in God and stuff I don't know why but I just know that he's good for you you know and so it's like Luckily, at that time, no one had really asked me about my faith because, one, they just didn't care. So I didn't really have to defend my faith. But I I would always have this desire to be righteous, you know, to follow God 100%. But like first, and I, at that time, too, I was always in a relationship. I had never known or realized that I had a lot of depression when I was like a teenager. And it was because my parents, they weren't really there for us. You know, my parents, they were workaholics and they always wanted to provide for the family or whatever it was, you know, and they, they come from that poverty mindset where it's like, I just can never have enough. So I don't think I ever really saw my parents growing up. I mean, my grandma was really the one that kind of raised us. And we kind of raised ourselves, you know, like my older siblings, they kind of really, we all kind of raised each other. And so basically, as a teenager, you know, when you kind of lack that relationship with your parents, you kind of tend to look for love somewhere else. And I didn't realize that at that time. It just kind of happened. And so I had always been in a relationship and I always felt more secure by being with somebody or being with a guy, you know, and making me feel validated or comforted even. And it was hard for me to break out of that cycle. And I, and that's what really pushed me even more back in my faith, because obviously I was, I was not dating a believer. So 
you know, it's just like going through the motion, like, okay, he wants to go to a party. Okay, I'll just go with him. And they do, you know, stupid things or whatever, you know, you just kind of like, okay. But then I remember I would just feel guilty, like, oh, I like, I know I don't want to live this lifestyle, but I keep doing it anyways, because I feel like I'm stuck. I can't get out. I mean, this kind of continued on even until until I graduated high school. And I felt like I just never had enough courage to really leave that kind of environment. It's one of those things where it's like you sit with the same group of friends every day in high school, right? And it's like, and if you don't, it's just you're kind of weird now. Like, why are you doing that? Like, why aren't you sitting with your friends? Or, you know, everybody had their own cliques. So you kind of just stayed with your cliques because you were afraid to be different, you know? So I think I think that's what really held me back. But when I was in my senior year, I had dated this guy. He was like my longest relationship and he wasn't a believer. And he, I can't remember how many years we dated, but it must've been like three, four years or something. And it was just one of those relationships where it was on and off and, oh, you know, like, okay, it's Valentine's, so I don't want to be alone. So let's just make up and, you know, do something because we don't want to be that person that's alone on Valentine's, you know. So it was just a toxic relationship, you know, knowing that, oh, yeah, we're just going to get back together and then break up again or whatever, back and forth. And so, but throughout that journey, though, of dating this guy, I remember every time I had gotten drunk or something, not that I got drunk a ton of times, but just even in like being involved in those activities of, you know, the parties and all that stuff. Like I remember then it was always on a Saturday, right? Saturday night. And then you wake up on a Sunday, you're supposed to go to church, but you're not going to church because you're hungover or you just don't want to go. And I just remember like, I felt embarrassed because like, I knew I was living this double life. You know, it's like, okay, I'm partying on Saturday, but then it's like, I'm trying to wake up to go to church on Sunday to be a good holy person. Like it was just foolish. And I remember he made fun of me for that because he's like, yeah, you live like you're like a Christian as well, but it's like you're partying with us on Saturday night and trying to wake up to go to church on Sunday. That's just contradicting the Christian faith. And I remember that really hurt me. And I was like, oh, that's true. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know when I'm going to get out of this. But do you feel like it was almost like you had the Holy Spirit that kept convicting you, but you didn't have the tools to change? I think so, because I remember I got baptized uh, when I was either in 10th grade or 11th grade. So it wasn't that much longer after I had given you know, or said the salvation prayer because I got baptized. Well, I didn't get baptized like in a fancy place, but I got baptized in my bath. So with with my two sisters that were, we were all saved at the time. And it was like probably midnight, I think, when I got baptized. <laughs> it was just like, I remember there was like some spiritual warfare going on a lot. And it, it was always spiritual warfare at the house because my parents weren't believers. We were. And so it's like, but we were still under my dad's household. So it's like, you kind of have that barrier where it's like, you can, I can't dig deep, but you know, you know, it's always clashing. And so anyways, I remember after I got baptized, I remember just this weird feeling like it was God's peace over me. And I, that's when I knew that, like there was the Holy Spirit that always nudged me to like, hey, like maybe we don't have to do this. And, but then you still do it anyways, you know. Mm-hmm. So did you and your sisters like baptize each other? Like it was just something you <laughs> felt like no, you're all was, doing together? Or? No, I was the only one that got baptized. So you just felt convicted to be baptized? Or no, how did that- it, was, it was actually a really strange night that night because I remember I was sleeping alone and like I just felt like this 
really demonic presence in my in my bedroom and I was just like scared and I remember I like woke them up it was it was close to midnight and I'm like you guys I'm just really scared and they're like okay so then we were praying together on the bed and then my sister she's more of like at the time you know I I consider her more of like the the most spiritual one because you know she was just always, I guess, on point. I don't know. <laughs> so, and so she just asked me, like, "Hey, do you want to get baptized?" And I was like, oh, "Sure." You know, I mean, I didn't even really know what it meant, but she's like, "Okay." And then I was like, "Well, don't I have to like, like, do something or whatever?" She's like, "No, we're just gonna baptize you in the bathtub," you know. And so, and then we, yeah, just got baptized in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really neat that God kind of worked in your sister's life at the same time too. So yeah. even though you didn't have this huge support system, you at least right. had your sisters to yeah. be there with you and, you know, be there in that moment where right. you felt really worried and scared. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, like that obedience to be baptized <laughs> yeah. and, and say like, Jesus, I choose you. Right. And then he gave you that helper to yeah help you through what was to come. Right. Absolutely. And so fast forward from that. And I think that's what really convicted me, you know, throughout my entire like high school life, I guess. But yeah, the breaking point for me in my senior year was like, I was like, you know what, I'm tired of living this double life. I'm going to take it more serious, you know, but once I leave school, I won't be around my friends anymore that I've always been with. And I know that once I cut them off, like I won't really have that influence or I won't have that obligation to hang out with them or go to parties anymore. And I remember I had made that commitment. And I was actually too, it was like, my faith was definitely challenged because at the time, like, of course, you know, every girl or woman out there, you know, we have a desire to be married. And I had dated this guy for a long time. And I remember I was like, oh, well, you know, we should just get married because we've been together for so long. And he's like, why? We don't even like have money. And he, you know, he was concerned more about the logistical things. But I'm like, well, because we love each other, you know, that's, that's all you need. (laughs) It just, we had talked about moving in together. And I was like, yeah, maybe I could just, we could just move in together because that's normal right nowadays and uh, he was like no I don't I don't know so we had just talked about it and then I remember I felt it in my heart I was like okay if I move in with this guy like I know I'm not gonna follow God anymore because he's not a believer and if he is gonna be my husband like I have to obey what he wants you know or like you know it's it's under his authority not mine and so it was really like either i had to choose him or i had to choose god and i remember i prayed to the lord i was like okay lord you're going to be the one that has to either end this or i don't know what to do and then obviously we like broke up and he had talked to somebody else like pretty pretty fast after we had broken up and I remember I was like super hurt because you know somebody you dated for a long time you thought you're gonna end up with them but now you're not and I think that was what really was hard for me to let go is because it's like it's just your comfort zone right it's like okay you've just been with this person forever and now I have to learn how to be by myself which I was never really by myself or single because I had been in the cycle of you know always dating somebody or being with somebody you know I had I don't even think I really even knew who I was or what I wanted or what I liked even you know and so that was kind of your comfort zone and yeah, your right you know didn't want to get out. Yeah, exactly. Didn't want to get out of there, even though I knew it was bad for me, you know. And so anyways, after we broke up, I really felt led 
to be involved in this ministry called Messenger Bootcamp. And it was an eight-week intensive course. So it was every Saturday for two months, all day, where you literally learn how to be a missionary. like, Or it becomes a, a daily thing. And not just like, oh, you travel overseas and then you share the gospel and whatever. But it's like, no, the gospel needs to be shared here, right where you are, and to your neighbor. You know, it's not, at least for me, I always had this like, conception of where it's like okay i have to travel to africa and go share the gospel there you know where it's like no it's it's right here you know you live it every day you know to to share the gospel to your cashiers or whatever it should be a natural thing and so anyways did you yeah so did you sign up to do this kind of right after that breakup happened it was it we had broken up i think it was like early that year so but the program hadn't started until the end of that year and so I mean, at that time, that was when I was like the most heartbroken and depressed because I was like finally learning how to be by myself and learning who I was, my identity in Christ and what I really desired, I think, had for a long time, you know, throughout all the years, like from the time I had said the salvation prayer to up until I had graduated, like all those years, like I had desired to live righteously for the Lord. And finally, now I had the opportunity to finally live it out. Mm -hmm. So you kind of shifted gears, that relationship Mm -hmm. ended, God kind of set you up to be able to grow. You signed up for this boot camp. Mm -hmm. And then once you started going, you know, every Saturday to learn what happened in your life. So I learned a lot. I mean, that was really intense. I was eight hours like on Saturdays and basically it was two hours lecture. And then for lunch, you had to go out and actually try to pray for somebody or do something that was obviously out of your comfort zone, which is basically you're just living out acts, you know, the book of acts. And, and then you come back, recoup, share, you know, testimonies and then more lecture. But then at the end of it, the great commission was this trip to New York and it was a week long trip. And basically it was 24 seven sharing the gospel so when we were in new york you had to sign up for like i think 12 shifts and it was all 24 7 so it was like every like three hours like a group would be sent out to like a certain part of the city and you you would go and pray for people pray for the sick pray for healing um share the gospel share the truth with with them i mean that was so uncomfortable because that was actually during the time of halloween too and so and in new york that was a huge thing the gay parade that was the big thing for halloween night and i remember when we got sent i was so scared i had never been so scared in my life just because you know we were um we were on the subway and it was just packed of people. And I remember just freaking out like, and then, you know, they all start, you know, my, the whole group just starts like singing like gospel songs and stuff. And I'm just like, Oh, do I want to do this? Or do I, you know, like, yeah, so- do I want to be known as a part of this group because I'm so scared. You know? Yeah. So when you decided to go in all, all in for Jesus, he asked you to go all in. All in. Yeah. Seriously. He's like, it's time. You know, but that was like one of the greatest experiences of my life because that night at the gay parade in New York, I remember I prayed and we, and we always had partners. So I was with somebody and there was just so many people 
there. And I just remember, I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be like that person where it's like, I'm just sharing the gospel, just to share it kind of thing. I wanted to be a divine appointment. And I I remember I was like, Lord, you're going to have to bring the, the person to me. There's just thousands of people there that are drunk, high, you know, I mean, you're just everything there, you know? And so I remember I was like standing at a lamppost and we were all wearing white t-shirts so that we, you know, people would know our group. And it said, I think it said messenger on there. And so this guy came up to us surprisingly. And so, and we also had like flyers and stuff to pass out to people that was talk about the gospel and stuff. And this guy, somebody must've passed one of the flyers out to him and he came up to us cause, cause we were in those shirts. So he knew we were part of the group. And so <laughs> He comes up to us and he's like, hey, um, honestly, I don't even really remember the story, but I remember he had like questions about, about God. And we were talking about love, and I told he and he. T- I asked, and I was like, "Well, what do you think love is?" And he's like, "Well, you know, I think love is love. You know, it's not so much about what's on the outside; it's about what's on the inside." And I think that you know, basically, he was saying that it's okay to be gay if you want to be gay because it's all about love, right? And I remember I told him, I was like, "Well, you know, I just want to let you know, like, actually, that's not how God defines love." I remember he was like really like discouraged after I said that. <laughs> you know, I could tell he's kind of like, oh, you're one of those, you know, like those Christian people that are so against us, you know, whatever. And, um, but anyways, I remember I told him, I was like, hey, but you know what? But God still loves you, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just this journey we go on and we have to learn it together and stuff like that. And, and this guy was Italian. And I remember I had asked him, like, yeah, like, do you go to church and stuff? He's like, well, and he didn't really like church because in Italy, in Rome, you know, they have a lot of Catholic churches there. And so he had this preconceived idea where it's like, oh, churches, yeah, they just really want money because that's what that's what their churches do in, in his hometown, at least. You know, they're all about money and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, what about – have you thought about God and like, do you pray to God and stuff? He's like, oh, well, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, I always think about praying to God, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll pray. I'll pray sometime or someday or kind of thing, like put off on the back burner. And anyways, as the conversation was ending, I remember I had asked, I was like, oh, well, you know, let's, can we just pray for you and stuff? He's like, yeah, yeah, we could pray. But before I started praying, I just really felt like the Lord was telling me, tell him to pray. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I was like, hey, you know, because you know, I, I, I really feel like the Lord wants you to pray. And he, and then he's like all shocked, like, what, me? I don't know what to say. Like, oh, what? I mean, you know, he's just like, and I was just like, just pray what's on your heart. Like, just pray. It doesn't have to be scripted. Just whatever's on your heart, just pray. And then, and he's like, oh, well, I don't really, and he kind of had broken English. So he's like, oh, do, I don't really know English well. And I was like, well, just pray in your language. That's fine too. Maybe we don't want to understand, but that's okay. It's probably even better, you know? <laughs> and so then he's like, okay. So then I remember he started praying in Italian. And I remember that was like such a beautiful moment because it's like, I don't really hear Italian, you know? So it's like he prayed in Italian and we just closed in prayer. And then that was the end of it. And I just remember I was so encouraged by that because I just knew that was God's divine appointment, you know, that night. Yeah. So you didn't have to seek someone out. Someone approached you and, you know, but you were willing to step out in faith that way and and be one of those people (laughs) (laughs) that was standing for Christ. Yeah. 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 That's neat. So after that program and after your trip to New York, 
what happened next? So it was actually my 21st birthday when I was there. And I, I guess I didn't have a lot of expectations there, but I was just like, you know, Lord, like, it'd be kind of cool to get something. I mean, I was away from my family and friends, and I was with people that I didn't really know. But I remembered the last night, I some guy had came up to me and like, he's like, you know, I just really feel like the Lord wants you to know that you're going to start traveling to the nations and stuff. And then I remember I was so encouraged, but I'm like, really? You know, and I had never flown from New York was my first time ever flying. I mean, alone and flying on a flight or airplane ever. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like I received that. And then I remember just going on like, whatever, you know? <laughs> and so I think it was a couple days when I had returned from New York, I had this dream. It was the most clear dream I've ever had. Basically, I had this dream that this guy came up to me and he said to me so clear, he said, I want you to go to Paris with me, but I want you to pray about it. And that's all I remember from the dream. And I, and I remember I woke up, I was like, really? I was like, in Paris, I had always dreamed about going to Paris, like ever since I had seen that movie Ratatouille. I mean, that movie really, <laughs> I was just so inspired by the culture. I was like, oh, you know, it's all about food. And, you know, Paris is a, um, the city of love and all. It's just, it was always like a dream of mine to go there. Anyhow, so basically, I remember I told my brother, I was like, you know, I really feel like God's telling me to go to Paris. He's like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, cool, whatever, you know. <laughs> and then I remember I, I had shared it with my mom, too. I mean, even though she wasn't a believer yet, she's like, oh, whatever, cool. Like, but I know I could tell she was like concerned, like, are you really going to do it? Or, <laughs> you know, and I remember I prayed about it. I was like, okay, Lord, like, I guess if you, if you want me to go, like, yeah, that you would make a way. And so not much longer, I was looking up YWAM because we had some people come to visit us that was in that YWAM group. They were from Kona, Hawaii. And I remember they had meant, and they had mentioned like, yeah, YWAM is like everywhere. There's like, you know, campuses like, I mean, all over the world, you know? And I remember one day I was kind of curious, like, oh, I wonder if there's like a YWAM base in Paris. And Turns out there was, and it was, the theme was culinary and oh, arts, and I was, <laughs> couldn't believe it. I was like, no way. So then, but I just really felt at peace about it. So I remember... I emailed, I emailed them and I shared like my testimony about New York and just like kind of told them like, yeah, I just really feel like the Lord is telling me, leading me to come to, you know, why I'm here. And then like, I think it wasn't even like, not even 24 hours later, I got an email response back from one of the staff leaders there. And she's like, wow, that's such a great testimony. We're actually starting our DTS in the fall. And it is started in September. So he totally opened the door. I mean, even though like from the time I had learned that to up until the start of the DTS, I, I still had doubts like, oh, am I really supposed to go here? And, but I, I mean, I, I remember it was kind of smooth sailing. Like I, um, got my passport. I mean, everything came on time. I was I was prepared to go, and that was definitely life changing for me too. Just to backtrack a little bit for someone who's maybe not familiar, what is YWAM and what is a DTS? Oh, right. So YWAM, it's it's Youth with a Mission, and they do discipleship training school. That's what DTS stands for. And then there's all sorts of DTSs that they do. They they can you could do like a three month where it's kind of accelerated, or you can do a like six month one. So basically, what it is is it's three months of learning. So every week you have like a theme that that where a leader will come and teach about worship or and then they come and teach about economics or something that 
basically is you know tying in with the with scripture and then you're kind of diving deeper into the word together and then after that you get commissioned to go on a three-month outreach so it's either to a third world country or at least for mine we actually went to laos which is crazy because i didn't want to go there i was like that's where i came from why would i want to go there and i and i despised you know our culture because it was so you know in the Hmong culture it's really it's really sexist you know and women don't have a voice and they're they should not be heard and it's just a very biased culture, you know, men are the one in favor. And and so, you know, I I was like, oh, I'm not going there. I hate that place. I admired our culture for like the food and stuff, but maybe not the culture, you know, everything <laughs> about it. So, but yeah, so that's kind of what they do. So then you go on a three month outreach of like either sharing the gospel secretly or you kind of teach English to like you know, um, elementary schools or whatever the opportunity is. Well, basically, you go and meet where the needs are. So you were kind of trained in arts and culinary while you were in Paris? Yeah. So actually, we, we did a lot of cooking, which was great. I mean, man, the food in Paris was really good. I mean, the bakery there, I mean, they baked all their stuff fresh every day. So it's like, I remember, I miss eating all the baguettes that they had there, the eclairs. It was so good. It's not nothing compared to like the States, to the States unfortunately. But yeah, so I mean, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest cook, but I always, yeah, did have a passion to cook. But So after you... Did your training in Paris, then you found out that you were going to go to Laos, which you were, <laughs> that was like the one place <laughs> you was... said you didn't want to go. It's funny because the leaders had actually told us to pray, like where we're supposed to go. So I think we had three choices at the time. It was the Dominican Republic of Congo, Vietnam, or Laos. And I was like, well, I'm not going to Laos, so I think I'm going to Congo. <laughs> so I remember, and they told us to write down our name and the place where we thought the Lord was going to call us to. And so I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to Laos. So I think the Lord's calling me to Congo. So then I wrote down my name and then I wrote down the Dominican Republic of Congo. And then, um, I remember that night they must, they looked at everybody's results and then we came back together and they're like, um, I think everybody needs to pray again because <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if they just had something beforehand or what, but I don't know. So then I remember I prayed again and I was like, oh, like, am I really going to go to Laos? And I remember I had shared with one of the girls there and just like, I told her, I was like, I don't want to go to Laos. Like that place is sucks. And then she's like, I think maybe the Lord wants you to go there because that's your heritage, you know? And, and I was like, oh man, I was like, really? So then after I did um, some prayer, but I was like, okay, maybe the Lord is calling me to go back. So then I, I put down my name in Laos, and then the second round, <laughs> the leaders read everybody's answers and results and stuff. They're like, okay, I think we got the teams like prepared, I guess, together. So yeah, I ended up going to Laos. <laughs> so were you born in Laos? No, I wasn't. No, nope. okay. So Only you... my um my oldest sister and my oldest brother. So just two of them were born in. Okay. In, I think in Laos or either Laos or Thailand. Anyways, yeah. So it was your first time there, but it you was. kind of had a lot of preconceived ideas exactly. just based on how your family was. And oh yeah, the culture yeah. growing up. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, I wasn't surprised in a way, just because it's like, oh, you know, we we've seen movies like that were made there, and and so I kind of knew what I was going into a little bit. But I think what was really important for me when I was there was just 
claiming God's kingdom over the country because it's just such a broken place. There is no order there. It's a communist country. There's not a lot of opportunity. I did see there's like so much prostitution there and it's just a broken place. And I just really felt like, I mean, before I got there, I didn't realize it, but it's like, well, because this is my heritage, I felt like there was almost more authority given to me because this is where I came from. It's like you're going back to your hometown to reclaim what was stolen. And so it was really, it was a really powerful experience, I would say. Literally like praying over the grounds, like the grounds of that place where you came from. I just think there's just something about that that's just really powerful. And so. Yeah. When you were there, do you feel like people received what you had to say differently because that was your heritage? Well, we didn't really get too much of an opportunity to really share the gospel just because like when we got there, since it's a communist country, we were told that everything is wired and you got to be really careful. Otherwise, they're going to come after like underground churches there and stuff like that. Or they can, you know, and I, I guess I didn't know it was really to that extent, like North Korea or China, you know, even about underground churches. And so I wasn't really educated about that. But like, I know for sure, like our group was kind of instilled with fear, like, okay, don't like, don't even say Jesus. Don't even say God. And I remember we had made um, made up a name. And we 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 would say George, you know, like yeah, let's go pray to George and stuff like that. And I just thought that was just so silly because I'm like, you know, why are we so afraid? Like this is what this is what it means to be missionary. It's to die for your faith. And so that kind of really bothered me just a little bit. But then, but you know, we just did it for the sake of protecting the churches that were there, you know? And so as far as the people there receiving what I had to say, I wouldn't say like, I, I didn't really share the gospel intentionally with anybody, like any strangers on the street, but I really felt like I was kind of an outcast, even though I was, I was one of them, you know, (laughs) it was weird because I had gotten really tan there. And, you know, the status of you is based on the color of your skin. So it's like if you're really, really tan and dark, you know, dark skinned, you know, you're kind of rated as like the poorer people, you know, so it's kind of like how they rank you there or whatever. And so, and of course, the people that were on my team, they were all white people. So I remember we would walk through the streets and my, especially my DTS leader, people would come up to her and be like, hey, can we like take a picture with you? And But, you know, they don't want a picture with me because it's like I'm the Asian person there. Like they definitely idolize being light skinned because that's if you're lighter skinned, you have more money or you're more educated. You know, it's just this thing that they've been raised. I don't know where they got the idea from, but, you know, it's just like, oh, yeah, if I'm dark skinned, I'm just a loser, you know. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So what were the activities that you did do there? So we taught at... um, we taught English at the schools and we really just kind of helped like the teachers there. And so, and at the school that we did teach, it was, it was, it was a smaller school. They did teach about the Bible and stuff. So it was, a, I would guess you could say Christian elementary school. So the kids that were in that school, they had the opportunity to learn English and to be, to have an education. Whereas a lot of the street vendors around that school, they don't. And a lot of their kids just work at the at the markets because they can't afford to go to school. So what's something that God did in your heart during that trip? I think a lot of it was having compassion. I didn't really care for my people, I would say, or think too much about it. To me, I just thought, 
it's kind of like a lost cause. Like, oh, these people, oh, I don't know. Like, would they ever turn to the Lord? Probably not. You know, it kind of follows with the story of the Israel Israelites. You know, it's like they've had, they've seen God, they've been with Him, and they still rejected Him, and he, even in the end. And so I guess I just kind of had that assumption that's like there's no hope for this country because it's like i don't know where would it, where would we even begin i mean the government's corrupt there there is no justice here you know and but i mean the lord really taught compassion and i was really challenged with really learning how to hear from the holy spirit and to hear correctly too and especially like when you're on a team yeah again even though it was a team of six it's day in day out we have every meal together we do everything together and that was hard and i remember reading through the new testament you read about these disciples i mean i guess at the time i had always oh yeah the disciples they must get along really well but then you know you kind of don't even really know or learn their personality until you actually even live it yourself. I think I even remember praying to God like, oh, Lord, I want to know what, it, what, what it's like to be a missionary. Oh, well, I definitely learned it when I was there because there were some people I didn't like. <laughs> you know? and like but it wasn't so much about liking each other. It was about how can we be a team together because yeah. we all had such different backgrounds in our faith. And some people didn't believe in the speaking of tongues. Some people did. Um, some people just, you know, had like their kind of like their own journey with the Lord. And it's like, how can God use us all together, even though we're all in a, a different journey? And that's what it really was like. And that's where the compassion comes from, because it's like it's having mercy for each other, even though we're making mistakes. Maybe I disagree with you, but should we not be together as a team because I disagree with you? Can God still work through us, through our differences, you know. Yeah, I think that's something that we, as a culture, really need to hear. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and I, that's actually where I really learned to the body of Christ, that some people are, are the arms, some people are the feet, and some people are the head, or whatever it may be, because, you know, it was culinary and arts theme, and so when we were teaching at that school, we had to do projects, and they made me in front, in, in charge of the projects there for the kids, and I'm like, I don't even draw, you know, <laughs> and so I'm like, me? You want me to do projects? And so... But that was really where I learned how to even ask for help. So going back to the, yeah, the, the hands and the feet, like I had some people that knew how to draw. So it's like I would tell them, this is what I'm picturing. Can you draw this? And they would do it. And I, that's where I really saw the beauty of, of God really working through all of us. Because I'm like, oh, I didn't know how to draw, but I can tell you what I want to be drawn in the end. That was really cool. And I was really humbled by that. I was like, oh, that's what it means. You know, I can't be everything, you know. Yeah. I think that's what's so neat about the gospel yeah. is that that is really unifying. Mm -hmm. You know, we can agree on the gospel being, right. you know, Jesus died on the cross mm -hmm. through that shed blood. We get the forgiveness for our sins. You know, all we have to do is repent and ask for forgiveness mm -hmm. and believe in that act and then we can be saved. Right. And I think you can find so much common ground in that, even mm -hmm. if you don't agree right. on other things. Exactly. And like your team demonstrated, you can still do something productive mm -hmm. if you're focusing on all the things that you can agree right. on and all the ways that you can support each other, mm -hmm. rather than it being like, let's sit down and talk about all our differences. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's debate who's right and who's wrong. <laughs> right. You know? So perspective plays into it a lot and just... Yeah sharing that common ground. Mm -hmm. I think if we as Christians spent as much time 
talking about what we agree on Mm -hmm. and celebrating that rather than some of these farther out issues that don't have the same eternal consequence, Mm -hmm. we would be a lot more productive. Oh, for sure. You know, if churches could work together. You know, that's kind of our heart even behind the What Project. Like, we're not asking to interview people that agree on every belief system we have. Mm -hmm. That's not our goal. Our goal is let's find people that have the same relationship with Christ that we do. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that. Yeah. And let's celebrate that. And let's right. celebrate what God has done. And mm-hmm. then we can work together to keep glorifying God. Because right. that should be our ultimate goal. Right. And, and Paul even talks about that. Where he's saying, like, why, why are you guys even arguing about what I believe in? And he was like, it doesn't matter what we believe. Really, what it comes down to, it comes down to Jesus. You know, it, it's it's that. I mean, maybe I have a preference, but that doesn't mean that I'm right. Yeah. And I think there's black and white in scripture oh. that, yeah, we can definitely point to and be like, yep, this is a non-arguable thing. <laughs> right. yeah. But there's so much that is kind of a gray issue and that can be effective in mm. one place and yeah. not effective somewhere else. You yeah. know, even just culturally, like the way you grew up is culturally different mm-hmm. than me. So God had to call you in a different way. That doesn't make the way you got called right and mine wrong. Mm-hmm. It just means that God was working in a different way yeah. in our lives. Right. And I think sometimes we're so quick to be like, well, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's necessary. And sometimes yeah. we have to be willing to take a stand. Right. But then there's other times where it's like... <laughs> We don't have to fight about this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So after you kind of finished up with YWAM, what happened kind of next on your faith journey? Well, before, I think it was a week before we had returned home, but there was like a a week session where they were trying to teach us about culture shock because we had been together for six months time in big groups. And and then, of course, when we were commissioned three months to somewhere else for um, in smaller groups, it didn't matter, right? So it's like we've been all over the place, learning all different cultures and being together all the time. And what does it mean to kind of like go back to home? And what's that going to look like? How do we kind of go back to normal, basically? And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't too scared about like, oh, yeah, going back to the States, like seeing people wearing pajamas at the grocery store, like who cares? You know, like, I mean, you know, like culture shock. Okay. You know, I think my biggest culture shock was just like being alone again. It's like I'm not not living in a group of 25 people anymore where we're all with accountability 24-7, literally. And I remember, I think when I did come back home, I was burnt out because it's like every day it's like we pray, we read, we go on the streets and and, um, and then not doing that back at home. And then, of course, my parents were still not believers at that time. So it's like, okay, I moved back to my parents' home where it's like it wasn't the greatest environment. I mean, it was still pretty toxic in a way where it's like the spiritual warfare. You know, it's like, okay, I'm living in a house that's still a shaman. You know, so it's like, yeah, how do I navigate through that? And then, of course, going back to work. How do I do that again? And I remember I just wanted to go back to normal. I remember I was like, I applied to so many jobs when I got back. I, I wouldn't get hired, and I don't know why. And I was like, I had never gotten rejected from a job before and like even the easiest jobs like a barista I was like and they wouldn't hire me and I was like that was just so strange but I just really felt like the Lord was telling me to rest because I was burnt out and I didn't know I was burnt out I just wanted everything to go back to normal and just not be like shocked I guess you know but um after that 
I decided to go back to school and finish my associate degree in like business and stuff. I kind of like had to transition through that and kind of like I felt like I had to start all over a little bit, just like the normal life, I guess. But even then, like I just was really confused. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I wanted to go on a missionary trip again or anything like that. But it was kind of hard to recoup again with like my church friends and stuff and like just and you know a ton of people would ask like what was your experience and I didn't even know how to put it into words because I'm like I don't even know where to begin like so many things happened in a span of six months like where do you start you know like sure I had like a lot of stories to tell but it's like but what God did in my life I didn't know how to put that into words yet you know it's interesting listening to your story it's kind of like you felt this need to be loved and kind of have a safe place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a struggle that kind of kept you from jumping in to really follow Jesus. And Mm -hmm. then God kind of helped you cut those ties. And he he kind of gave you that experience, I feel like, to grow you. So then you had that foundation. So then when you came back and you were alone again and you had some time to figure out who you were, Mm -hmm. You had some foundation and you had somewhere to yeah. kind of put your feet instead of it being like, I don't know what direction to go. Right. I don't know yeah. anything. You know, it's he put you through all this intense yeah. faith training. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to give you a rock to stand on. Yeah. And then when you had mm-hmm. that time to kind of develop your own personal strengths, you had something to lean on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially too, you know, when I was there during the first three months of that DTS, I had a lot of time. And that was that was like the time where I really actually read the Bible too. So that was where I got a lot of knowledge in scripture and like really learning context. That that was the first time I actually even learned about what context was in scripture, you know. And I mean, I didn't even know what context was. I mean, I didn't even know there was a backstory to why things were written the way they were and like the parables and like, you know, what did Paul mean and what was the culture then? Why did he say it that way? And yeah, so I really got rooted into like truth. It wasn't just so much of like me interpreting my own truth, but it was like truth for what it really was for, you know, knowing the context this time, knowing the culture, why did God do what he did, you know, and what, what that really meant and the beauty of it actually, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's like when you grow in your faith and you understand that more so you can look back at the Old Testament. Yeah. It is at face value, very yeah. confusing and hard oh, to understand. Absolutely, you yeah. know, and there are two covenants, mm-hmm. you know, there's the Old Testament covenant and the, you know, yeah. covenant of Jesus. And yeah. yeah, it takes some maturity mm-hmm. to like be able to see the whole piece of the puzzle and see how the Old Testament is really just pointing to Jesus. Yeah. And no, God is not scary in the Old Testament. It's very beautiful, like just his love in the Old Testament. It's it's him chasing after after the people, not even so much the people chasing after God. Yeah. yeah. Right. And he's just and continually it's over and over and over again. He's still choosing them over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So you said your sisters, some of your sisters um, were saved. Mm-hmm. Where does your family stand now? So my family, actually my family, my I would say my whole family is, is they're safe now. And this is after like 10 years of like praying for my family and, and especially for my dad. I never thought that my dad would be saved until he was on his deathbed, to be honest, just because of how hard his heart was and like how he had like, it was just really against Christianity, you know. 
And so one of my brothers, it was in 2019, so it was pretty recent. He passed away suddenly. So he had seizures when he was like probably a teenager, probably 15, 14, 15. And he was studying for his um, IT exam and it had been like a super stressful week for him. And usually when he would break out in seizures is if he had lack of sleep and energy and didn't really eat. So then that's kind of like when it would happen. And so my mom was, you know, she was always concerned about him and she would be like, oh, make sure you're eating or don't stay up so late and, you know, and stuff. And it, it was supposed to be only like a six month IT course, but it took him a year and a half or two years to really like learn it. You know, it was supposed to be a six month course. And so anyways, my parents, you know, especially my dad, they just have this really high expectation. And every Asian family would know that, you know, I mean, what they want you to be is a doctor, a lawyer, like all the you know, highest paid careers out there. And you just always have this pressure to be the best you can be for your parents. And anyways, yeah, he had a lot of pressure for my parents to kind of to basically pass on the first try. <laughs> and so anyways, that whole week he had worked and studied really hard. And and the night before he took his exam, he had, like, texted my sister. And he's like, hey, yeah, like, can you guys, like, pray for me? Because I'm just really worried. And basically, he wanted to pass. And so, like, okay, well, you know, if it's God's will, maybe you'll pass. But really, it comes down to just your knowledge. But I remember that day so clear because then the next day, it was, it was a Friday. And I had gone off work, and I, I just decided I was going to go see a movie that night. So, but I remember I was going to call him, and I was going to ask him, like, hey, like, how did it go? Like, did you pass your test? But I just didn't because I just thought, oh, yeah, I'll probably see him over the weekend anyway. So I'll just ask him then. But I don't know. It was just a really strange day, I remember. And so that night when I got out of the theater, I had turned off my phone. And then when I turned on my phone, my, my phone like just blew up in messages. Like everybody's like freaking out. And all I could see is like that Steve had died. That was my brother. And I'm like, what? So it's like everybody's in shock. And so I'm like driving as fast as I can to my mom's house. And then when I got there, the police had already been there. Everybody's there already. And like my mom's just like, you know, hysterical. She's just crying all over the place, calling people. And it's just, it was just so weird. I didn't know what to really think of it, you know? And so fast forward to that i remember after they had pronounced him dead they took his body and left and my dad was you know obviously thinking about okay what are we going to do for the funeral and stuff and my sister and i we told my dad we're like hey you know dad like i think that it would be really honoring if you actually did a christian funeral for steve because you know he was a believer and we really believe like he believed in the lord and he got baptized you know he got saved and you know i don't think that it would be right for him to have a shaman funeral so we told him that and just something for him to think about but then eventually my dad reached out to the pastor that my brother and his girlfriend had been going to and so that pastor came and kind of like, okay, let's learn about this church and stuff. And so that's kind of how they got introduced to the gospel and like what it meant and like how this is like a turning point for them. Like, okay, what do you really think actually happens when you die? And so then the month after my brother's death, my dad had burned down the shrine. Like they totally converted. It was, you know, wow. and I, so, I, I, yeah. So about a month after, like he had yeah. completely changed and God used that like introduction of the gospel yeah. through your brother's yeah. death. God redeemed that, you know. I guess he didn't, you know, my brother didn't die in vain, put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what a message too that like 
no one is too far gone. Mm-hmm. You know, your dad yeah. probably never thought. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, believe in a white man's happen. religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. But, yeah. And just, you know, for all of you guys too, after yeah. kind of, you know, feeling that pressure to give it up, but oh, you were sure. faithful. And then to see God be faithful yeah. and now to have your whole family following Christ, mm-hmm. like what a testimony. Right. And, you know, I mean, they're still growing. Everybody is always still growing. But, yeah, God is faithful. And I continually pray for my parents. Like, my dad has come a long way. I mean, he didn't grow up, like, having a good father. You know, he grew up in a pretty abusive home. If you didn't get it right, you got beat up for it. And if you didn't say the right things, you kind of got beat up or whatever. Just so he didn't come from a loving home. And, And honestly, that's not even really nurtured. In our culture, you don't say I love you. In, in our culture, that's just weird. You don't show emotions. You just, if I got you something or bought you something or if I'm providing you a home, that's me loving you. I don't need to tell you I love you. You know, so it's kind of like emotions are really kind of a strange thing in our culture. So, so to have my dad show that to us, something that he's never even been given. Not that that's an excuse for him, but you know, I mean, it, it can it could be either way. Some people who didn't come from you know that kind of nurturing or whatever, um, they could still change that. They can still choose to change that. Like, well, I didn't grow up like this, but I'm not going to choose to be like that. Yeah, but God's kind of actively changing that oh, cycle in your family yeah. and. It's just a testament of how God loves us yeah, and how he does care for us because mm-hmm. you can see that reflected in how your Absolutely. father has changed after encountering him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Nancy, you come from a, a culture that is a lot of performance that you kind of you mentioned. Um, and your, your father and your mother kind of had a hard time expressing love. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people who come from that kind of background where their mom and dad might not be saying they love you or might be more about going to work and providing for the family and a performance-based culture? What what would you say to those kind of people? Well, I would definitely say, like, not to be ignorant to your parents, but to still honor and acknowledge them because sometimes people just are oblivious to what they lacked. And that's okay. But, you know, God is the greatest father. He is the father of the fatherless. And for me, I think that's where I got a lot of redemption and just the the comfort, the restoration of that emptiness in my heart. It It was God. He became my father. And so... Don't be discouraged because maybe your parents may have lacked. And, you know, no parent out there, even Christian parents, you know, they don't, nobody will ever do it perfect. And there, there's always going to be something that people will lack in your life, but that's okay because they're not supposed to be everything. You know, God is everything. And we're reminded of that in scripture over and over again. And Jesus says it's so clear too, where he talks about parents who give good gifts to their children. You know, even though you're evil and wicked people, like you give good gifts to your to your kids, how much more can the father give to you? And it's just so profound, you know, how much God loves us and cares for us and that he he's the one that's always chasing after us, even though we're the wanderers, we're the prodigal son who wanders away. He's always the one that still desires and chooses us, even though we don't choose him. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of The What Project. If you would like to stay connected, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope that you have a great week. 
and that you will join us again on the next episode of The Wet Project.